Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and today we are moving into the 10th episode of our series titled Permanent Markers, and we are winding down this summer series. We only have a little bit left as we've been looking at the lives of individuals and then also biblical concepts that leave permanent marks on our lives. So today we have a really special message because John O'Neill is going to be speaking on an individual in scripture who is just very, very special, whose story is so unique. Well, it's not always easy to take a stand for what's right, because taking a stand for what is right often requires courage. And the question is, will you be firm in your beliefs? Um, I triple dog dare you, is what John says. And so today he's going to explain the permanent mark that Daniel left on a secular leader. And so we are just really hoping that this is an encouragement to you to push forward with taking a stand with things that are right, because it's not easy to do in this world. Hey, like I mentioned, the summer is winding down and we're moving into the fall, and I would love for you to go to, to our website, BearTownRoad.org, and you can see everything that we have going on there. You can see video versions of the sermons that we have, uh, and you can also go to BearTownRoad.org slash events and find out everything that we currently have published that's going on throughout this upcoming fall. And so without further ado, let's jump into this message titled, Daniel. Well, good morning to all of you. It is great to see all of you here in person. For those of you joining us online, great to have you with us. I'm actually kind of excited to be here this morning talking because uh, this is our last week of the Permanent Markers series. And it's kind of been a lengthy one, but I don't know about you all, but for me, it has been kind of a roller coaster of thoughts and emotions over the last couple months as we've been going through this. Um, what we've been looking at is this idea right here that my good and bad actions leave permanent marks on my life and the lives of others. So as I was preparing to speak this week, well, first of all, I have to confess something to you guys, all right? I'm actually a little nervous about presenting the last one. See, I'm a, I'm a food show junkie, and I love shows like, like Top Chef and Chopped. And the one thing the judges always say is that the last thing that they remember about a great meal is the dessert. So I'm kind of hoping that I can leave a good permanent mark, almost a dessert, on this final of the, of the series of permanent markers. But it's exciting. It's, it's been a great series. And I've thought a lot about people in my own life that have made that permanent impact or that permanent impression on me. And conversely, I've thought, have I done the same for others? Because ultimately, that's what we're striving for, to be that positive impact on all we come in contact with. I started a few days ago, I started, as I was preparing for today, I was thinking, and I started making a list, and I started writing down names of people that had impacted me in some way. And about 10 minutes into that, I was like, this is a terrible idea. This list is going to be way too long. I, I, I cannot do this. I'll forget somebody. I'll feel bad. So then I, I reached out to a few friends, and I asked them, who has made a, a very impactful statement on your life? And tell me in one or two words, three at the most, why they made that impact. And it was interesting to hear feedback. Some of them said things like, 
um, you know, while, you know, I had a coach and he just, he was very, he mentored me. Others said that, you know, it was a family member and it was just the way they, they showed love. I was impacted, as I, as I thought about that list I started and, and bailed on, it became very clear to me that some of the people I was thinking of impacted me some in bad ways. And I learned from that. I said, I'm never going to do something like that. A lot of them impacted me in very good ways. Others impacted me in a way that inspired me, made me want to do better at something. A couple of those names would be like Jeff Emig, Jeremy McGrath, Brian Deegan. For those of you that don't know, these are motocross riders. Probably not the best role models, honestly, but they, they gave me that, that inspiration and impacted me in such a way that I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that big jump. I'm going to ride really fast, which didn't always result in the, the best situations. Had some painful learning curves with that sometimes. But what was really interesting, whether it was a bad impact, a good impact, or an inspiring impact, there was one common theme across the board. And that is most of these people probably had no idea that what they said or did made such an, impre- such an impression on my life. So stop and think about that as we reflect on this statement. My good and bad actions. We don't always know who's watching. We don't always know what statement we're giving off. We don't always know how we are impacting somebody's life. So that's what I want us to kind of keep in mind as we go through this. Last week, Pastor Isaac talked to us about people that bad actions that left permanent marks not only on their own lives, but on an entire nation and the future of that nation. He, he was talking about the kings of Israel and that only just over 15% of them were good. Some of those were okay-ish, but there were a lot that were bad kings. They made bad decisions. They didn't follow God. And that's where we're going to pick up is right around here, about 600 B.C., during the reign of King Jehoiakim, who was not one of the better kings of Israel. So we're going to look at uh, Daniel, and in chapter 1, that's where it starts off. The third year of King Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave him victory over the king. He allowed him to take some stuff from the temple. And and I I put this here because I think this is interesting. It it says, Lord gave him the victory and uh, permitted him. Again, this was going back to what was prophesied that the nation was going to be split, that Jerusalem would fall. And even though they were God's people, he was allowing this to happen. This wasn't because Nebuchadnezzar was so great and so fantastic. This was something that God allowed because of what he told them would happen. And this part here that he took objects from the temple and put them in his own temple of his own gods, that's interesting because this is going to come up again later in in this text. And it's kind of important to understand this. So anyway, Nebuchadnezzar goes, he he takes them, he takes some of their stuff, he takes people captive. And then he says to his chief of staff, bring 
to the palace some of the young men of Judah who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking, well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted with knowledge, good judgment, suited to serve in the royal palace. Now, I, I was reading this the other day. I was like, hmm, pretty good, pretty good selection there, right? He's very specific about what he's asking for. And I kind of leaned back in my office chair, and I could look out in the other room where my wife was sitting, looking and doing something. And I said, hey, hon, you should be really glad that we didn't live in 600 B.C. or else Nebuchadnezzar probably would have taken me to, to serve. <laughs> and without even looking up, she just goes, pretty sure that verse says young men. <laughs> I guess I know where I stand now. You have one birthday so he picks these great-looking guys, right? And the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So the king says, bring me these guys. I'm going to give them my good food, my good wine. You're going to train them. You're going to work with them for three years, and then you're going to bring them to my palace, and they're going to work for me. And so Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the four young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff named them with Babylonian names. You all probably will recognize this. He named them Rakshak and Benny. <laughs> I mean, you can't talk about this without bringing up veggie tales. He, Daniel's just kind of giving them the eyeball. Actually, what he did name them, and this is interesting, Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. This is why this is so interesting. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is my helper. Mishael means uh, who, can, who is like God, and Azariah means Yahweh is gracious. So these are all names related to their heritage and their beliefs. And they changed their names to, this means Prince of Bel, which is a Babylonian false god. Shadrach was, means commanded by Aku, another Babylonian god. Meshach means controlled by Nebo, again, another Babylonian god. And Abednego means servant of Aku. So they changed their names to chorus to, away from their heritage and their beliefs and changed them to be in line with what the Babylonians believed and who they served. They were immediately trying to influence these men of Judah to follow their pagan ways. But it gets really good here because Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, I was once described as a determined young man by a teacher to my parents. And in that context, it wasn't necessarily the most positive <laughs> outlook. But what they meant by that is, this is, a, this is someone that when he makes his mind up about something, he is going to move forward with it. 
Daniel was determined. He felt so strongly against eating the food and wine that was provided by the king that he went to the chief of staff and he said, hey, let's make a deal. We don't want to eat that food. And the chief of staff was very concerned about this because like, I'm responsible for you guys. This is what you're supposed to eat, just like the other guys that were training to serve in the palace. Just because you came from Judah does not mean you're any different. And Daniel's like, but look, I'll make you a deal. Let us have water and vegetables for 10 days. Let's do a trial run. And at the end of 10 days, let's see who looks better. Let's see who's healthier. Let's see who's stronger. Now, what do you think happened at the end of the 10 days? Yeah, they looked a lot better, a lot healthier. Maybe the king's food and wine was like Pepsi and Doritos. I don't know. I mean, it sounds good, but you all know when you eat junk food like that for consistently, you feel terrible afterwards. But when you eat clean and healthy, you feel good. You feel energetic. Daniel was determined, and he stood his ground right off the bat. So just like they were trying to influence Daniel and, and the other three, Daniel said, I'm going to influence you right back, and I'm going to stand firm in my beliefs, and I'm going I'm to hold to this. And so at the end of the 10 days, they looked at him. They said, yeah, you guys look great. We'll keep doing this. That's no problem. Just don't make us look bad. What's interesting is at the end of that, God gave these four young men an aptitude for understanding Daniel was given the ability to interpret visions and dreams. So these guys came out looking really, really good. So good, in fact, that when the king talked with them, he was impressed. But no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. See, they stood their ground. They held to their core values. They held to their beliefs. And they came out strong in the end. And we could kind of like stop right there and say, yep, that's great. That's, that's a permanent mark for sure. But that's not where it stops. This is just setting the scene. This is just the beginning of what was about to go down. If you get a chance, I would encourage you, read through the entire book of Daniel. It's not that long. Take you maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes to read through the whole thing. It's really, really interesting. Since we don't have that kind of time today, I'm going to summarize this for you real quick, though, because I want you to see how the start of it and the end of it didn't, there was no variation. They didn't deviate from their original plan. They didn't start out saying, I'm going to stand strong, and then by the end, be like, well, whatever, I'm done, I'm over it. And as we look at this, you're going to see in some cases it even meant potential death. So chapter one looks like this. They're taken into captivity. They get recognized because of their stature and their intellect. They stood their ground. They wouldn't eat the king's stuff. They came out looking good. It proved to be a good decision. And the king took notice of them. And they were brought into his palace to serve. So we jump into chapter two. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And this dream bothers him. Like he knows there's some meaning behind it, but he can't understand it. He can't figure it out. So he calls all of his wise men. He calls his magicians. He calls all these other people in, and he tells them this dream. And they're like, oh, we don't know what the dream means. Now, Nebuchadnezzar could be defined as somebody with a short fuse. 
He's so infuriated and so enraged by the fact that they, you're my, you're my special guys and you can't tell me what this means. That's it. Kill every wise man in the land. That's what he tells his chief of staff. Go out, kill them all. Seems a little harsh, but okay. Daniel hears about this and steps in. He's like, oh, time out. Remember when I was right about us eating and drinking the good stuff? Let me help you out here. Don't kill anybody. Give me some time to think about this. Let me huddle up with my guys, Rack Shack and Benny. We're going to pray about this. And then I'm going to then take me to the king and I'm going to interpret his dream. So that's what they do. And Daniel gets in front of Nebuchadnezzar. And not only does he interpret the dream, this is how it starts off. He steps up to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, hey, I heard you had a dream and it bothered you. Before, now he has no idea what the dream is. He's never been told by Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I'm going to tell you what your dream was first. Then I'm going to interpret it for you. That's a pretty bold thing to do. Pretty daring. And that's what Daniel does. So he gets up there, and not only does he interpret the dream, but the king is so, Nebuchadnezzar is just so mind-blown by all of this that he's like, that's it. You're in charge now. Now again, we could stop there, but it gets better. Chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar has an ego trip. It's no secret that Nebuchadnezzar was full of pride. He's probably, you know, standing there in the morning, shaving, looking at himself in the mirror going, yeah, it's a pretty good-looking guy. By the way, do you know how we know Nebuchadnezzar was a clean-shaven king? Because Nebuch had a razor. I know. Listen, I can't give you my great dad jokes right off the bat, okay? We've got to build up to it so there's some anticipation. But he does. He, he is a very prideful man. And he kind of gets this idea in his head like, you know what? I am going to build a statue. And it's going to kind of look like me. Now, I don't just mean like statue. No, this thing was 90 feet tall. Let me put it into perspective for you. We live in Corning. You know, in the wintertime when you're driving down the highway and there's the Corning headquarters where they light up the windows with the word Noel, or at one point they had the word unity in there. That is a nine-story building. The statue was that tall. And he put it out in a plane where it's flat. So this thing could be seen for miles. I would say Nebuchadnezzar had a little bit of an ego trip there. And it looks like him, and he tells everybody, you're going to bow down, you're going to worship this statue that I made. Now, in this particular instance, Daniel was not around. It's believed that possibly because of the position that Daniel had been promoted to, that maybe he was out conducting the king's business. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there because they had been coming right along with Daniel into the king's palace, working in his service. So they are there. And the music plays, and everyone bows down except these three. And so the administrators to Nebuchadnezzar who didn't care for these men of Judah, they, of course, go running right up. Oh, 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 King Nebuchadnezzar, did you see? Those guys didn't bow. He says, well, they probably didn't hear me. So he commands it again, and the music plays again, and everyone bows down, and these three stay standing. 
Now again, Nebuchadnezzar's got a short fuse. This is his big day. Everybody's bowing down to this idol that looks like him, and he goes off. The text tells us that he, he became so enraged that he orders them to be put to death. He says, the furnace that we use to build this statue with, heat it seven times hotter than what it normally is, tie them up, throw them in, I'm done with these guys. It was so hot that when they approached to throw the men in, that the guards that threw them in were overcome by the heat and passed away. I mean, that's a hot, hot fire. And they're thrown in. And a couple minutes later, Nebuchadnezzar does one of these. Are those people walking around in there? Why are there four of them? See, that's where God flexed a little bit. And he sent his angel to protect them. And these guys were literally walking around just chilling out in the fire. Maybe making jokes like, oh man, I wish they'd turn the heat up in here. It's a little cold. So Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. They walk out. Their hair is not singed. There's no burn marks on their clothes. They don't even smell like fire or smoke. And he's blown away by this. And he says to them, you know what? I, I can't touch that. Your God is a real God. And they received a promotion. Could stop there, but it keeps going. Chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has another one of those troubling dreams. Now this time he's like, you know what? I'm not even gonna mess with those other guys. Bring me Daniel. He's the only one that can interpret this because this is a really weird, bizarre, off-the-wall dream, but I need somebody to tell me what it means because I am really bothered by it. And so Daniel comes to him and starts explaining that this dream is about his pride and how he's going to fall. He's going to be humiliated by God because of this dream. And Daniel begs him. He says, oh, king, I implore you, turn from your sin. Put away your pride. Nebuchadnezzar goes, oh, good advice, Daniel, thanks. And like a week later, forgets about it. If you're a parent in here, you know what that feels like. So instead, God humbles him, and he actually goes out and lives like an animal on all fours, eating grass. I mean, I can't think of more humiliation for a king than to go from being in your palace, overseeing everything, to on your hands and knees. If you read the text, his hair is grown out, his nails are grown out, he looks like a wild animal out there. And then one day he has this revelation, he's like, oh, Daniel told me I need to repent to God. So he acknowledges God. His sanity is restored. They come find him. They bring him back to the palace. They clean him up, and boom, he is king again. Kind of a crazy story. Keeps going. After Nebuchadnezzar comes along as king, Belshazzar, and he decides to throw this big party. They said over 10,000 people were in attendance at this party. And again, Belshazzar wants to flex a little bit. So he's like, hey, you know what? You know where all those, uh, those gold cups and plates and everything that we took from the temple when Nebuchadnezzar raided Judah? Yeah, bring those out. We're going to use those dishes tonight. And when they started using them, a hand appears in the air and starts writing on the wall with its finger. Sounds like a pretty wild party. 
Now, they're bothered by this. All the wise men are like, whoa, we don't know what this means. We can't read that. Looks like Greek to me. And they're like, well, actually, it's Hebrew, but nice try. (laughs) But then Daniel says, well, yeah, I can read that. You're not going to like it. And he starts off by giving Belshazzar a history lesson. He's like, hey, you remember your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar? Remember that time that I told him, watch out for your pride or it's going to get you in trouble? And then he lived like an animal for a while. And then he acknowledged God and all was restored. Yeah, this is about your pride. What is it with you kings of Babylonia and your pride? Like, come on. This is silly. But what this means is that you have been measured, you have been weighed, and you don't stack up. And so they're going to come, they're going to overthrow you, and you're going to lose the kingdom. And Belshazzar is like, oh, okay, we'll be ready for that. And he gives Daniel a promotion. Daniel just keeps going from higher up. That very night, the Medes came in, they attacked, wiped them all out, and they took over. So now here's Daniel again with a new king on the scene, King Darius, the Mede. He had taken over after wiping out Belshazzar. But Darius really likes Daniel. He gets along with him really well. I don't know if they're BFFs, but they're getting close to that. He really, really likes him. So all again, all of these administrators and these chiefs of staff and these officers that serve Darius, they are becoming very jealous of this connection, this bond between Daniel and King Darius. And they're like, we got to get this guy. How can we stop him? And they watch him for a while, and they're like, oh, he goes and he prays three times a day to his God. So they go and they manipulate Darius. Again, pride. They play off of his ego, and they're like, King Darius, aren't you like the greatest here? Aren't you the best? Aren't you the top dog? Why is Daniel, or why, why are people not praying to you? Why are people not seeking you and serving you? He's like, oh, that's a good point. They, they should pray to me. So he makes this decree that everyone in the land will pray to him. And these guys are like, oh, we got you, Daniel. So as soon as they see Daniel continue to go out, stand his ground, and pray to his God, they run back to Darius. Oh, guess what Daniel did? And this is a pretty familiar story that most of us know. This is where Daniel then is thrown into a den with a bunch of lions. Now, Darius, is he's sick about this. He is upset about this. This is not what he wanted to have happen. And he's kind of realizing, like, uh-oh. I might have I screwed up here a little bit. And he is up. The text tells us that he is up all night long worrying about Daniel and thinking about this. And in the morning, at first daylight, he runs to the den, and he calls down to him, Daniel! And there's Daniel hanging out with the lions. He's like, yep, I'm good. You want to get me out of here? And so Darius then kind of flips the tables. Again, he's angry at these guys that manipulated him. And he's like, you know what? Put them in the pit. And to Daniel, he says, your God is the God. 
six chapters in a row. Many years pass from the start to the end. And in every single one of them, Daniel dared to stand firm in his beliefs. He didn't do it just once. He didn't do it when they were looking. He did it all the time. But what's even more amazing about this is not only did Daniel dare to stand there and be firm about it, but God was acknowledged by unbelievers. In a pagan empire, they're seeing the true God because of Daniel's stance. And we know this because, again, the Scripture tells us. Chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar says, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. This is his response to Daniel telling him his dream and then interpreting it. The greatest. Nebuchadnezzar in in chapter 3 at the, the fiery furnace Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue him. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And then again, after Nebuchadnezzar has his animal moment, I looked up to the heaven and praised and worshiped the Most High. I praise and glorify and honor the King of Heaven. See, Nebuchadnezzar started to recognize who the real God was. And even Darius noticed it. Everyone should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. He rescues and saves his people. God was acknowledged by unbelievers. See, ultimately what happened was Daniel's courage left a permanent mark on a pagan empire. Stop and think about that for a minute. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call the the world we live in a pagan empire, but I think we're far from being a godly nation at times. One man stood his ground and made a permanent mark on an entire nation. Just think about that. If we collectively were to stand our ground, that's way more than just one of us. And you think, well, he was different then. You know, Daniel was a different person. Okay, maybe he was. But let's talk about this for a minute. Why was Daniel able to be so courageous? Why was he able to be so bold and stand there and and hold firmly to his beliefs and morals? Text will tell us. He said this, the God I serve. See, that statement tells me that it's not just, it wasn't just something that was an occasional thing for him. No, this was Daniel's lifestyle. This was his way of living. This is what he was rooted in. The God I serve, it's personal to him. There was no other option but to stand firm and to serve the one true God. And the other reason I believe Daniel was able to is this right here. This is the other thing he said frequently. He will deliver me. 
See, it was more than just trusting God. There was an expectation and an anticipation of something happening. He was so rooted and believed so firmly in God and trusted him to the point that even in the face of death, he expected God to intervene in some way. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he thought he would live through it. Maybe he thought God would intervene by just taking him out of that situation. That he would then go and live in glory with God. Regardless of what the outcome was, he knew God was going to act and he looked for it. We can do the same. You know, that, that word courage, it comes from the root word of a Latin word that means heart. I find that very interesting. Courage comes from the heart. When we talk about life change, it has to be a heart change first because what's in here is what will come out. For Daniel, it was heart. It was his lifestyle. It's what he believed and what's he, it's what he knew to be true and what would happen. So ultimately, this is what I want us to think about because we can be like Daniel. But in order for us to stand tall for God, we must know, love, and fully trust him. Just like Daniel did. It wasn't an occasional thing. Daniel knew him. There was a relationship there. And I've said this many times. If you're in youth ministry, you've heard me say it more than you probably care to hear. But it is all about your one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. The two of you connecting that is knowing. I'm not saying I know who God is or acknowledging that, that, that he is who he is, but having that relationship with him because that's where the real trust comes in. And that's what Daniel had. And the other thing is that any godly person can thrive even in an ungodly environment. It's not always easy, but Daniel proved it. Because not only did he live in, a, in an ungodly environment, but he thrived, he grew, he kept getting promoted. See, sometimes we're afraid to take that stand because we don't want to be standing out, so to speak. But when we do, we can know and trust that God will take care of us through that. And ultimately, we will thrive because of it. I've worked in many ungodly offices. And I don't mean that they were just, you know, that they were pagans or that they, they were horrible people. I just mean that a lot of unbelievers in my office. And when I was younger, I wasn't a Daniel. I caved. I gave in to the peer pressure. I followed suit. I got involved in conversations that were not wholesome. I made jokes that were inappropriate because that's what was going on there and I didn't want to be the odd man out. As I got older and grew in my relationship with God, I started taking a stand. I remember one employee in particular that I had to meet with him every day to discuss things 
And when I say he had a mouth like a sailor, I mean like that's, that's being kind. And oftentimes it was using God's name in vain. And about the third day of meeting with him and hearing him talk like this, I, just, I stopped him and I just said, I'm going to have to ask you to please just try and refrain from cursing like that when, when we're meeting. There's really no, nothing productive that comes from it. And I said, it's not that I'm necessarily offended by it, but my God is. And I don't think that his name should be used that way. I was very unpopular in the office for a few days. There were a lot of jokes made at my expense. But after about a week of it, it was let go. They moved on. And not only he, but three other guys in that office with me stopped cursing around me. It can be done. It's not comfortable. It's not always fun. But it can be done. We can survive and we can thrive in an ungodly environment. And more importantly, we can live in such a way that it impacts that environment and allows God to be seen, allows God to shine through us. Just like Daniel did. One of the ways we can do that is just set godly boundaries. You know, we, we set goals and boundaries in life. We say, you know what? Boundaries, okay? The speed limit's 60. I can probably do 65, maybe 70 and get away with it. If I go 90, that's pushing the limit. It's a little unsafe. I definitely don't want to pay that kind of a fine. See, we're setting a boundary without even realizing it. We do that constantly with all types of things in life. So if we're going to do that, let's, let's consciously set godly boundaries. Say, I will not stand for this or I will stand for this. Let's take that little bit of courage within us like Daniel did. Because just like our good and bad actions leave permanent marks on my life and the lives of others, well, guess what? My godly actions will leave permanent marks on my life and the lives of others. If you choose to stand firm for your godly beliefs, not only will it impact others, it'll start having an impact on your own life. You will feel yourself grow in that relationship with God. It will change. It will be different. Question is, are you willing to do that? Can I dare you? Like Daniel, be daring. Because it will have an impact. And ultimately, that's, that's what we want to take away from this entire series. Everything we do, everything we say, has a permanent impact on people. If we truly think about that, if we keep that conscious in our minds, I think we're going to see some changes. And again, collectively, as a church, and I don't just mean Beartown Road, I'm talking the church of Christ across the world, if all of us were to live in that way, knowing that our godly actions will leave permanent marks, 
I think we start to see some real change across the board. So my challenge is, I dare you to go out there and live that godly way. We're going to make mistakes. It happens. But we can be bold and courageous, just like Jesus told the disciples. Take heart. Have courage. I have overcome the world. We can do this. Let's go out. Let's be bold. Let's be daring. And let's make some permanent marks for the kingdom. Would you pray with me, please? God, it's, it's just so great to be able to learn from the past, to be able to talk about these things, to, to see how just a simple standing firm in a belief made such an impact on a prideful king and a pagan empire. How those smallest actions can lead to some of the biggest changes. God, it's not always going to be easy, and and you have told us that, that we will see difficulties in this life. And you have said that life with you is not always easy, but it will be better. So God, may that just be the message that we have, that we carry forward as we go out and we try to make these permanent marks on the lives of others to let them know how great life with you is. And that there's no bigger permanent mark on a life than the one of having you as Savior and having that one-on-one relationship with you and knowing what our future will be with you in glory. God, I pray for courage, and boldness in every one of us here as we leave today to go out and be impactful. We love you, and we give you all the glory, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope that this 10th episode of this series has been encouraging to you. I hope that you found it to be something not just interesting or kind of neat, but really challenging. Like, are you going to take a stand to do the right things when the moments come? And so until we're together again, I want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.